we are going to talk about controlling relationships. And this is kind of an interesting subject because controlling relationships, they can be hard to spot. And sometimes they can even be hard to recognize when you are in a controlling relationship because oftentimes it's a fine line between what's healthy and normal and what can be controlling. And we touched briefly on this when we talked about John Gottman's seven principles for making marriage work, about how it can cross over into that line of controlling. But when it comes down to it, if you are someone who is in a controlling relationship, you are in an abusive relationship. And I think, Mark, you'll agree with that statement. Oh, I agree with I definitely agree with that. Yeah. yeah, it's abusive. So let's talk about what a controlling relationship looks like. So it's a good place to start. And as a preface to this, I'm going to you know list some qualities of relationships. Now, any one of these on their own does not necessarily mean you're in an abusive relationship. Right. I think they could be considered problematic, but I think it's more pattern that we're looking at a pattern of the relationship where there are going to be several or a lot of these different qualities that are in the relationship. So I just want to make that clear. You know, if I read, you know, a quality of a relationship and someone goes, Oh, that's my relationship. That does not necessarily mean you're in a, an abusive relationship. Right. So the one that stands out to me, which is, is pretty common is when your partner isolates you from friends and family. And that happens, I think that's a pretty subtle thing that happens. Mm-hmm. It starts off, and it could start off with just, well, I'm uncomfortably being around your family. And then it moves to, oh, you don't go without me. I'd like you to stay home. And so it's it's a subtle way of controlling the person. And I think that if you find yourself that you, you've had to end uh, friendships, which I've certainly had couples in my office where that's true, that Mm -hmm. one partner has over time forced the end of probably most of the other partner's relationships. That is a big red flag. And I think that, you know, we can talk about red flags a little bit later. That's a really important term for me because I think people need to pay more attention to that. So if you're dating someone and they don't like to be around your friends, I would consider that to be a potential red flag. Now, again, it may just mean that they're shy. Maybe they have some social anxiety. So it's just something to be aware of. Yeah. So that's the first one, I think, and that's pretty common. The next one is criticism. So this goes back to one of Gottman's four horsemen. But the the criticism is chronic. And so putting you down, you know, even for things that seem inconsequential, you're always being criticized with that. And and I just want to say, I do see couples where this occurs. Mm-hmm. And so I have seen what I would term abusive relationships. And it's really difficult to deal with, you know, in my office. Chronic criticism, now veiled or overt threats. So sometimes, you know, if a partner will say, well, if you do that, I'm going to do this. And that's a threat. Even yeah. if it doesn't feel serious, sometimes it is serious, cutting off privileges, cutting off access to money, say, things like that. That's pretty serious. But even just the the idea of if you don't do X, then I am going to do this. Mm-hmm. That's a threat. That is not a healthy relationship. Ultimatums so, in any relationship, ultimate, they're never a good thing. Never a good thing. 
I agree with you. If a person in a couple wants to give an ultimatum, I say the only way you give an ultimatum is if you go through with it. And so you've got to be very, very, very careful about that. Using guilt as a tool. Now, often this comes with manipulation Mm -hmm. and, you know, try and make the person feel guilty or shameful Mm -hmm. about something. See, the common theme that we're seeing in all of these is you are creating a power differential. Right. Is what the person who is controlling is creating that power differential. And we'll go into why that happens. I think another common one is spying or snooping or requiring constant dis- disclosure. For And I hear this all the time too. Where are you going? Where are you going to be? Now, I think we've talked about this in a marriage. I think it's common courtesy to say to your partner, oh, I'm going to be late tonight. Yes. Or I have something to do at work, or I'm going to run an errand. I don't know that it needs to be more than that. But where it then shifts into over-controlling is, I'm going to be late tonight. Oh, what are you going to do? Where are you going to be? And, you know, when are you going to be home? Call me when you're here. And so it can easily cross from, say, a normal request to know where a person is yeah. to being controlling. That's the subtle part, you know, that you mentioned early mm-hmm. on. I think often it's really hard to see when you get into that situation. And I think often it starts out very subtly, starts out, you know, a little bit, where are you? Mm-hmm. And then eventually over time gets to, you have to tell me where you are. You have to check in. Yeah. I, I want to know who you're with and things like that. So that, I mean, that is really a big one. Uh, that I do see often. And like you said, and like we've been talking about is the subtlety. And I really like how you explain it as a power differential, Mm -hmm. because these things in and of themselves don't necessarily make for an abusive relationship, because you almost gave reasons for every one of these situations. Wanting to know where your partner is all the time. I mean, that's Curtis and I. And it's not that like we have to know, but I always know where he is and what he's doing. And it's the same thing with me. And I try and men have a, men have a lot of trouble with this because I think we raise men to be too independent. Making that transition from single guy to married guy is often hard. Yeah. And one of the things that they don't like to do is say where they're going or what they're going to be doing because they often see it as, well, I'm now being accountable to my spouse. Well, I think that's part of the marriage contract, really. Mm-hmm. It's that, you know, there is accountability. But again, it's a fine line between, hey, I'm going to be here and I need to know where you are at all times. Yeah. And two, I think context is really important because mm-hmm. I can think of a few instances in my marriage where an outsider would have said, well, that's kind of a red flag. And one instance is when, I was going through some minor PTSD. We, Curtis and I had got into a minor car accident. Well, or not even a car accident. He spun off the road and it really gave me a lot of anxiety about driving and about getting into another accident. And I was really nervous about him driving in the winter in the snow to college, especially given that campus was up on a hill. And I asked him, I was like, can you text me when you get there? And can you text me before you leave? Which 
that sounds really controlling, but it was a short term thing. And really, it was just it was to help me deal with my anxiety. And it was something that we both agreed with and we were both okay with. And another instance was before Curtis and I really figured out how to budget. And I'll be honest, it took us 10 years to really nail down an effective way to budget and to get a good system where we can both keep track. But for a while, Curtis would keep track of all of the finances and he would keep track of all our spending. And he asked me to help him. He's like, okay, as soon as you spend it, I need you to send it. So I just need you to send me the amount. And that sounds really controlling for me to have to send him the amount of money I spent every time I swipe my card. But really, it was just about trying to manage our finances. And it wasn't about what are you spending? It was about I need to know. So I mean, you're so right in these subtleties and the context really matters. Yes, it does. And I think you're right. Those things that you mentioned, you know, certainly don't, at least for me, don't fall into that category of controlling. But remember what I've said before is it takes five to 10 years to learn how to be married. So Liz, at 10 years, you're doing just great. (laughs) (laughs) How to budget. Because I, listen, I see couples who've been married 50 years and they still don't get it. And they're still, you know, going over the same issues. Let me just go over a couple of other really quick, some things. So unrealistic expectations, I think that's common, blaming others. So you never take responsibility for your own problems. Mm -hmm. That's a common one. It's always your fault or it's always this other person's problem. Making your partner responsible for your own feelings. So for instance, you made me do it, or maybe there's even some physical contact or physical abuse. And often you'll hear this, that, oh, you made me do it. If you would have done this, then I wouldn't have hit you. And, yeah. uh, you know, not taking responsibility. I think verbal abuse, so the words we use, the volume we use, I hear some terrible things and it's hard. It's really hard for me to see two people who I assume at one point loved each other, Otherwise, what are they doing together? So at one point, they loved each other. How did they get to this point where, you know, the things I hear them say to each other is just shocking past violence. So violence towards animals. Mm. And that that's a real big red flag uh, yes. for me. In fact, this does happen, cruelty to animals or children. Yeah. And often it's the way you your partner might talk about children, you know, because you want you want to. I think you want to be married to someone who's kind and gentle towards most people. Mm-hmm. So threats of violence, I think I mentioned that before. So these are all things to be aware of. And again, you have, I think in the dating process, I think it's really important to pay attention to the red flags. Do not dismiss them because I see people often, you know, they're 20 years into their marriage and I say to them, did you know this about him or her when you were dating? And often the answer is yes. Yeah. And so now it's a problem. Right. So I think another thing that would be good to talk about that is definitely considered controlling is using something like uh, I one instance I could think of is sex or money as a weapon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's very controlling and very manipulative. And I think manipulation and controlling, they kind of can go hand in hand, really. If someone's manipulating you, you're in a controlling relationship. Or if someone says, and I think with the with the using sex as a weapon, it can say, if you don't have sex with me, then this. 
or if you don't do this, I won't have sex with you. Both of those are very problematic in yeah. a marriage. Yeah. And that, that reminded me of another thing that often occurs. Using force during sex is a real problem. Yes. You should never be in a relationship where force is used during sex. Yes, I agree. So let's talk about reasons why people are controlling. And if I had to hazard a guess, I think it's like what you said earlier. It's that power differential. Some people just like to feel powerful and they feel a need to have power over other people. Right. Now, that's the obvious thing to think about in this situation. But I think if you I always like to tell couples, OK, go deeper on this. Yes. So if you go deeper behind, what's the reason that the person wants to feel the power and control. See, that's where you really want to understand what's going on. So you're absolutely right on, let's say it's the top level of understanding would be they just want power and control over their partner. But I would want to know what's going on in their life or what happened in their life yeah. that then led them to feel like they need to have that power and control. And this is where I think it gets a little bit more interesting. I think a lot I'm just going to, a vast majority of people who are controlling, I think they have low self-esteem. Mm, okay. So I think it's uh, it's one way that they, you know, they create that power differential and it's a way to raise their self-esteem. So I think that's one issue. And issues of self-esteem, I'd say almost always come from family of origin. And so another reason to maintain control would be this intense fear of abandonment. And I don't know if you've ever known anyone who has that, but there are people out there who have that intense fear of being abandoned. And that always comes from uh, family of origin issues. And so the way they cope with that fear, mm -hmm. so it's the fear of that that's behind it. The way they cope with it is I'm just going to control you so you can't leave and I'm going to prevent you from leaving. And that's what the power and control is always about. I think that often it's the person has difficulty in expressing or being in touch with their own emotional state. Mm. So, for instance, the anger or fear, say that fear of rejection, they don't know how to calm themselves. Now, fear is, I think, I'm thinking about some of the couples that I've seen who fall into this category and one of the big drivers of this behavior is fear. Okay. So a lot of verbal abuse comes from fear. So there's a trigger in the relationship. And it could be, you know, maybe there's something going on with the children and, and you're afraid your spouse is doing something wrong with the children. And so the fear gets really big. In, instead of being able to handle that emotional state, you explode, you, you know, you say all these awful things, you become threatening, you become controlling. And so those people who have high anxiety, one of the best ways to control the anxiety, it's not a healthy way. One of the best ways to control it is to be that I'm going to use controlling too many times, but it's yeah. to control, it's control, yeah. control your environment. Right. And so that's what a lot of people do. And so for some people, it's not to this extreme. And so I realize that what we're talking about in this type of relationship is we're taking that anxiety to an extreme place that people can't handle the anxiety. And so they have to have that control and it becomes that way, their way of being in relationships. And it's very unhealthy. Okay, let's take a quick break and we will be right back. 
Hi there, my name is Maya Acosta, and I'm the host of the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions podcast, where I explore ways that we can optimize our health. I learned about the field of lifestyle medicine, which uses evidence-based approaches to prevent, halt, and in even some cases, reverse disease. These are lifestyle modalities, such as using certain foods as medicine, using exercise to reverse disease, managing our stress, and even getting adequate sleep. Join me and the amazing people that I get to talk to as I set out to learn how taking better care of ourselves can help us both improve the quality of life and enhance our longevity. Let's get started. Right. And I think in that instance, that's maybe something that you can overcome is if you can recognize that and recognize what's going on. But I think one of the big problems with someone who is in a controlling relationship is oftentimes they probably don't see a problem with their behavior and they don't want to change it. I think that's probably very common is that they don't see anything wrong with the behavior. I think that can be true. But often what happens is the partner, you know, realizes that they're in a controlling an abusive relationship. And so they force the issue of coming into counseling. And the way they force it is I'm leaving you, which then ties into, again, the anxiety and that fear of abandonment. And so often the person comes in. So realizing that it's a problematic behavior is the easy part. Mm -hmm. Changing the problematic behavior is the more difficult part. But I think, let's just say there are family of origin issues that are driving this controlling behavior, which I think is really, that's mostly what's going on, except for those cases that you mentioned, where there are people who just really like, you know, having power and control. Mm -hmm. But most often there's going to be some sort of family of origin issue. And the first step to being able to solve that is to really have an understanding and insight into where does this come from? Because you have to address the person's fear or anxiety or whatever, fear of abandonment, whatever it is that's going on underneath, low self-esteem, yeah, like that. You have to address that. And often if you go in that way, then the person realizes, okay, this isn't healthy. So I have seen people change. The change part is really, really tough. And it's probably going to take some time. And I, I think that's, long time. And I think that's important for someone who is being controlled. And if they're trying to work on it, I think they need to understand that just because you've acknowledged the problem and your partner's willing to work on it, it doesn't mean your problems are going to go away overnight. You're going to need to give them time to work through their issues and to correct their behavior because it's not going to be easy for them to let go of the control because like you said, it's easing that sense of anxiety and it's filling a need and you've got to give them time to replace that with something else. Right. But here's the problem with that is often the people are at the end of their being able to to handle it. And so, you know, by the time they come into my office, uh, they're almost right there tipping over the edge into the divorce. Mm -hmm. And so when you explain to them, because it's actually about changing your brain, which we've talked about before. It's changing those connections. And the only way to change those connections is through experience. And the experience we're talking about is really having the controlling person, like learn to meditate, you know, all those things we've talked about as far as uh, decreasing their anxiety. There's that, 
There's, uh, you know, doing some individual work around family of origin issues. That takes time. It take, and, and often the partner is not willing to wait. Mm, yeah. But I think, you know, from my perspective as a therapist, I try to be honest and realistic and say, I think you can do this. It's going to take a long time, though. Yeah. And one thing that I think is going to be really helpful for both people, and again, this is probably going to be incredibly difficult, is the person who is being controlled, it's going to really help them to try to understand the emotional space of the person doing the controlling. And that's going to be very helpful for the person who is doing the controlling. And it's also going to help you gain a better understanding. If you can put yourself in that person's emotional space and say, okay, this is why they are doing this behavior. And that doesn't mean you're making the behavior okay, but it can be very helpful just to gain an understanding of this is why they act this way. I think that could maybe help someone stick it out a little bit longer if they can really be empathetic and try to understand where this other person is coming from. So I agree with that. But again, I go to the length of the marriage, which are the context, because if you, let's say you've been married two or three years and you've, you realize you're in a controlling relationship to be able to get to that empathy place is much easier than early on, because you haven't had 20 years of this behavior. What I've seen is when you then have had 20 years of this awful behavior, it is so difficult to get to that place of empathy. And I agree with you, you know, once you understand, then it's more likely that you can have empathy. But the problem is, this is true uh, from Gottman's research, is that couples wait too long to come in to get help. And by the time they come in to get help, you know, here's how one couple explained it to me. They were in an uh, 18-wheeler, I guess that's a big cargo truck that goes down the highway. They said, we're in an 18-wheeler and 17 wheels are off the cliff. And I thought, okay, I don't know what you want me to do with that because you only got one wheel left that's holding you up. But they and waited. You're not, you <laughs> and you're not being held up. You're over the edge at that point. Uh, that couple eventually did divorce, but they wait too long. And yeah. so it goes back to, I think, paying attention to the red flags. Often when you're in an abusive relationship, you sometimes have friends and family who are alerting you to this. Mm-hmm. often they're the ones who are saying, you know, what's going on? You know, your spouse treats you this way or your spouse seems controlling. And what I've heard is this is a problem because early on in marriage, you want to think the best of your spouse right. and you're wanting to support them and stand up for them. But it also prevents you from looking honestly sometimes at what's going on. And then it just leads to, you know, 20 years down the road, you've had it. Mm-hmm. And you need relief right now. And to say, yeah, if this guy can change his behavior. It's going to take him a year. But, you know, people are saying, I'm really I'm out of here. I'm not going to wait a year for this to change. So it's really, it's, you've got to catch it early on. Yeah. So, or not marry it. <laughs> I mean, that, that would be yeah. the ideal thing is don't marry the controlling relationship. But I think people are really good at hiding this during the courting phase. Right. So let's talk about those red flags and maybe meet some of the more subtle ones that can be harder to miss. So what are some of the subtle red flags that you might not think of, but really they're problematic? Well, I think the one thing, I was going to sound hard because a lot of people have anxiety and it's anxiety that does not affect their marriage in such a negative way. Mm Mm-hmm. 
But I think it's really important to pay attention to the emotional world of the person you're going to marry and don't ignore it. Mm -hmm. And I think that what happens is we fall in love and we think that love conquers all and that because we love each other, we can make anything work. And I've said many times on these podcasts that that is just not true. Love is not enough. It's always about behavior. Mm -hmm. And so early on, if that person, for instance, feels needy, Okay. Then I think that can be a red flag mm, yeah, because th- this is an important thing for listeners to understand. If you see something like the person feels really needy to you and you're going, oh, that they feel needy. That's not going to get better. Mm, when you get married, that won't resolve. Mm-hmm. And I think it could possibly be an indicator of something more serious. So again, I, I want to stress these things, you know, alone do not mean the person's going to be controlling. Because we may just have some emotional issues that need to be dealt with, which is probably the more common situation because we all come, we all come with baggage. We all come with baggage. And Curtis would probably say early on in our marriage that I was needy or I was clingy and maybe it was unhealthy. Maybe it wasn't, but early on in our marriage, even throughout our courtship, it was hard for me to be away from him. I didn't want to be away from him. Because, and a lot of it is, I just, I was so in love with him that I just wanted to spend all my time with him. You know, it was kind That's of that. That is a very different issue though, Liz. See, you think so? Oh yeah. Okay. Because I wouldn't classify that as needy. I think okay. that when you're falling in love, I mean, this is, this is the thing that is true. I think of most long-term successful marriages is you can point back to this time where you can say, I was madly in love with this person. Okay. Yeah. I mean, can you say that? I remember, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm 45 into the 45 years into my marriage, but I remember at, I was 16 when I met Lindy Mm -hmm. and I remember that feeling still. And I didn't want to, I didn't consider myself needy. I just wanted to be with her. And so we wanted to be with each other. And so I think that's different than feeling needy. I think when I say needy, it's you have to meet my needs. It's more of I can't be alone. It's different than I I want to be with you. It's very different than I can't be alone. Okay. Yeah. You see the difference? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what what I hear you saying is I just wanted to be with him. Right. If you were saying I have this fear of being, uh, you wouldn't use the word fear, but you say I yeah. don't want to be alone. That's a, that's, I think is a red flag because I think it's healthy at times for people to be able to be alone. Yeah. Yeah. And I would guess if you look back, even the time when you were falling in love with Curtis, there were times when you were alone and you were okay. You may have missed him. Okay. Yeah. But you were okay being alone. And then the other thing to be aware of is to, I think it's important to listen. How does this potential partner interact with their own family members? Yes. What are the words? What are the language that they use? And I can't think of any better term than saying you want them to be kind and considerate, compassionate. And if you pick up that they aren't to anyone, mm-hmm. even so, so this is one thing I hear. They'll go out to dinner. They're dating. They go out to dinner. And one of the partners is incredibly rude and demeaning to help staff. And that I think is a big red flag. Yeah. Why would you treat anyone that way? Why would you want to be married to anyone who treats other people that way? And so it's really hard to get over that initial, I am so in love with this person. 
Yeah. To really looking at what, how do they behave towards others? Not only how do they behave towards you, but how do they treat others? Yeah. And, and I think that is so important. And it was one of the things I really admired about Curtis in the beginning is he has a very troubled families of origin, you might say. I mean, he grew up in a very less than ideal situation. And there was a lot of upheaval in his life at a young age and a lot of insecurities that were beyond his control that he dealt with. And he still loved his mother. He was still a mama's boy. And for a long time, I've been a very firm believer, girls, marry yourself a mama's boy. Marry someone who (laughs) loves their mother. Because the way they treat their mother is the way they will eventually treat you. Now, I recognize that there are instances where mothers can be abusive, controlling, or there can be problems with the mother. I recognize that there are instances of that, but I think you're right in that pay very close attention to the way he treats his family. Yeah. And, and friends, and I, I just don't like the term mama's boy. I've never really liked that term. Uh I think I would, I would generalize it to just how do they treat people around you? How do they treat people they don't know? How do they treat the person who's serving them dinner? And you want someone who's kind and courteous and, you know, pay attention to when those behaviors come out and that kind of takes you back and go, wow, what just happened? Mm -hmm. Don't dismiss those behaviors. Yeah, I agree. Pay, pay close attention to those. So now let's talk about getting out of a controlling relationship and what that looks like. And hopefully you're able to work through the problem, but I think oftentimes it's not, or maybe the person is unwilling to change. So let's talk about that, about getting out of the relationship. So this is, this is a hard thing to do. And and sometimes you've just had enough and you have to leave and you have to be very careful about how you do that. Because often the person who's controlling or abusive, I talked earlier about that fear of abandonment. Well, here it comes because I'm going to leave you. I'm going to divorce you. And then that kicks up this big fear and they might do anything to prevent you from doing that. So I think you have to plan well uh, in advance of leaving, as is especially true if there are children involved. Mm -hmm. So I would always suggest consulting a family law attorney just to make sure you understand what your rights are. And then once you do leave, when you may have to leave, as opposed to this controlling person leaving, I think you need to have family or friends with you. Do not yeah. do it alone. Do not even say alone, I'm going to leave you. I think you need someone there because I think a lot of these people are unpredictable. Yeah. Um, and you, you don't want to be caught in a situation where there could be violence. Mm-hmm. And that has certainly happened. Uh, before I've heard it happen. So I think you have to be very careful. You have to have a plan in place. Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? And have someone that you need help. And the most difficult situation is if the isolation, so the very first thing I talked about is they isolate you between from family and friends. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that what that means is they will move you to a place where you have no family, you have no friends. I've certainly heard of this situation. Then it gets so bad you have to leave and there's nobody there to help you. Right. That is really a a very hard situation. And another really hard situation is if you 
don't have separate finances, which is very common in marriage because oftentimes that can make it really difficult is if they control all the finances and you don't have any say in it. Because in order to get out and be on your own, you have to be able to support yourself. Right. And, and so finances is one of those ways they control. Yeah. So you don't know where the money is. You don't know how much money you have. You can't access it. That's a big red flag early on in the marriage. I I think that's a real problem. Now, I think, and I'm not talking about where you divide up the tasks and one person is responsible, say, for, that's a very different thing. But I think there should always be equal access to the finances, which is different than the task of, you know, running the financial world of the family. Mm -hmm. But if that happens early on, boy, this is a strong statement. I would not put up with that. I think that's a bad sign. Yeah, I agree. The opposite of a controlling relationship is equality in a relationship. And marriages, you have to be equal partners. Right. It has to be everything. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. I use the word team. I don't know if that's a good word to use, but I think you have to be a financial team. You have to be a parenting team. You have to be a team with regards to extended family. I often use this term I probably have before on this podcast. You have to be a sexual team as well because you're in it together. And when you aren't, or if it doesn't feel like that over several different domains, that's a big red flag. Yeah. I want to briefly mention if you are going to be getting out of a relationship and if it's controlling or if there is abuse of any sort going on, then you definitely do not want to do that on your own. If there's any type of abuse, and we talk about this more at length in an episode we did a while ago called Abusive Relationships, and I just want to reference that episode. You can go back and listen to it. It aired on January 20th, and we talk in length about physical abuse and the dangers of getting out of a physically abusive relationship and control can certainly turn into abuse. And so if that's the case, you really need to be careful because it can be a very dangerous situation and definitely don't do that on your own. And there are lots of programs out there that can help you get out of an abusive relationship. Right, and let me reference one that I know I'm, I referenced in that episode and at least in Salt Lake City, the YWCA is excellent at this. Yes. I mean, they, they would be my first recommendation as a resource for anyone. In fact, if you're thinking about it, you know, you can go and talk to them and they deal with this all the time. They are a really great resource. And I would guess it in other cities, the, that same type of resource also exists. Yes. It's just a quick Google search. So yeah. you don't have to stay. And oftentimes that's how people who are in this controlling relationship are made to feel. They feel stuck and that they have no way out. And that's not the case. You have options, you have resources, you've just got to find them. That's right. So next week, we are going to get into a topic and we're going to title it cohabitation. But what we're actually going to be talking about is when families have to move in together. And in the current economic state of our country, this is happening more and more and probably throughout the world. Parents and children are forced to live together. And boy, that can be a really tricky situation. So we're going to talk about that. And both of us have had experience with it. So we're going to be talking about our own experiences. Yeah, yeah. 